You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Lord, I'll die with you. I'll die for you. Any other great apostle ever made that commitment? Cephas, Peter. And when the Lord told him the truth, this very night you'll deny you even know me. Peter emphatically tried to correct the Lord. No, Lord, I will die with you. The good thing about a commitment is God is so gracious that if we fail, there's grace and mercy at the cross. Anybody ever failed? My hand is up. My hand is up. You will make many commitments in your lifetime. Hopefully, you'll try your best to honor them all. But sometimes, a commitment falls through. Have you made a commitment to Christ? Have you made a commitment to serve Him? Well, God is gracious even if you fail. His grace covers your inadequacies. In today's message, Pastor Danny teaches that even the apostles fell short of their commitments. But Jesus Christ was loving and kind. He showed grace to them and will show grace to you as well. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts chapter 18 with today's edition of The Living Word. chapter 18. Verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, pause there for just a minute. Now, we talked about this verse last weekend in light of Paul's ministry in Athens just before he comes to Corinth. That was chapter 17. But I want to go back real quick. We're going to come right back to Acts 18. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 Paul asked, where's the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, the gospel, to save those who believe. Then he goes on in chapter two, verse one. So it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul's experience in Athens left a real impact upon his life because what he dealt with in Athens were the most intellectual people of the world. And he took a beating, not the normal kind of beating that the apostle Paul would take. Usually the beating was a physical beating. He took a verbal beating by some very smart people according to the standards of this world. And it affected him. As great as a man of God Paul the apostle was, He's human. He's human. And his humanity shows here. He says, I came to you, to Corinth, in weakness with great fear and trembling. Back to our text, Acts 18, verse 2. 
There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, Paul's primary audience he was called to minister to were Gentiles, which is kind of odd. He was, a, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he loved his own people, the Jews. And so every time he got an opportunity, even though he's an apostle, if you will, to the Gentiles, as Peter was to the Jews, he still loves his own people, and every time he has an opportunity, he shares Christ. He shares Christ. And it had to be extremely difficult for Paul to, for the most part, repeatedly be rejected by his own brothers and sisters according to his race, the people of Israel. He writes in Romans chapter nine, just listen to it, verse one. I speak the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Jesus knew exactly what Paul felt. John's gospel, chapter one, verse 11, speaking of Jesus, says simply this, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Luke chapter 19, then we're coming right back to Acts. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. As he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. And he goes on to prophesy about the day coming when their enemies would surround them and awful things would happen to them because they did not recognize God's coming to them through the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. And it caused Jesus to weep just like Paul must have wept many times for his own people. He's human. I appreciate that because if you haven't noticed, I'm human. Acts 18, verse seven, then Paul left the synagogue, went next door to the house of Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. When we get to the rest of the text we're going to look at, we'll learn that probably, most likely, Crispus, because he became a believer in Jesus Christ, he lost his job, his position as synagogue ruler. Another guy named Sosthenes will take his place. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you have to believe that Sosthenes also, at some point, became a believer of Jesus Christ because in the opening verse of 1 Corinthians, Sosthenes, a brother in the Lord is addressed. Verse nine, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Catch this. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And here's something Paul rarely heard from the Lord. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. 
In light of that word of encouragement, I love verse 11. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. I would have stayed longer teaching them the word of God. Paul's used to getting beat up, not, not just verbally. He's used to getting physically beat up, thrown in jail. And the Lord speaks to him in this vision. Please understand, if God says, do not be afraid, you're afraid. Because he doesn't waste words. God would not say to somebody, don't be afraid if they're not afraid. He would not say, keep on speaking, don't be silent, unless you're tempted to not keep on speaking the way you normally speak for Christ. Point again, Paul the Apostle is human. And as great of a man of God as he was, he had weaknesses. And he needed this word of encouragement. But what happens next? Test his faith, no doubt, in the encouraging word that the Lord has spoken to him through this vision. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. Nobody's going to attack and harm you. I got a lot of people in this city. Notice what happens after that. Verse 12. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man they charged as persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. And I can imagine Paul thinking a little prayer in his heart and sending it to the Lord. Lord, remember what you said. And just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on, not Paul, Sosthenes. We have to believe the new synagogue ruler and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Galileo showed no concern whatever. He just let him beat the guy. And Paul's watching this whole thing. And while he no doubt has empathy towards Sosthenes, I think he's saying to the Lord, oh, thank you that somebody else is getting it this time and not me. One more verse. Verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and he sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Kincriae, because of a vow he had taken. And the fact that he had his hair cut off in connection with this vow tells me undoubtedly it was a Nazarite vow. You say, what's a Nazarite vow? Old Testament, Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter six and verse one. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, they must abstain from wine and other fermented drink and must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. They must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. As long as they remain under their Nazarite vow, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. During the entire period of their Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head. Samson, the Old Testament character, Samson was called to be a Nazarite from birth for his whole life. That's why he was never to get his hair cut. He was the first hippie for God. <laughs> they must be holy until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over. They must let their hair grow long. Throughout the period of their dedication to the Lord, 
The Nazarite must not go near a dead body. Even if their own father or mother or brother dies or sister dies, they must not make themselves ceremonially unclean on account of them because the symbol of their dedication to God is on their head. Throughout the period of their dedication, they are consecrated to the Lord. Now, we have some words here similar to the word vow because if you took a Nazarite vow, it had to do with dedication, consecration. So let's think about those words for a minute, all right? Let me help you out. Synonym of consecration is dedication. Dedication means devotion. It can mean enthusiasm. You're dedicated, and so you're enthusiastic about it. It means commitment. Vow, vow. Vow is simply a promise. It can be an oath, pledge, personal commitment. It's an earnest promise to perform a specified act or behave in a certain manner. So all these mean kind of the same thing. Doesn't tell us the motive behind Paul's Vow. That means we can speculate, speculate biblically. And I want to throw out some possibilities for us to consider because we aren't told what the motive behind his vow was. All right, here's some possibilities. It could have been a fresh commitment to keep the message of the gospel simple in light of what happened in Athens. When you read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, as I did a portion of, that is a good possibility. Good possibility. We looked at that a bit last week, so I won't spend time there. Let me give you the second possibility. To be thankful in all circumstances. Paul wrote that, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. William Barclay, famous, well-known Christian commentator, suggests no doubt Paul was thinking of all God's goodness to him in Corinth and took this vow to show his gratitude. That's a very good possibility. Be thankful in all circumstances, especially in light of leaving Corinth for, where for a year and a half he's not been attacked or harmed, all right? Where's he leaving to go to? He's going to Jerusalem. Here's a good possibility. If I'm a bet man, I'm laying, I'm laying some good funds on this one. Because he's leaving Corinth where for a year and a half he has not been attacked or harmed, and he's headed to the city that has killed and stoned more servants of God than any other city in the world, Jerusalem. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. That's where Paul's headed. When you jump over to Acts chapter 20, on his way to Jerusalem, he meets with the Ephesian elders. And he says to them after meeting with them, verse 22, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, every city since leaving Corinth, the Holy Spirit warns me the prison and hardships are facing me. I'd rather have the word, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, because nobody's going to attack and harm you. But after he leaves Corinth, he's getting a totally different message from the Holy Spirit, warning him, prison and hardships are facing you. On the way, you get to chapter 21, they stop off in Tyre, and the disciples in Tyre, interesting, verse 4, we, Luke and Paul and the others, sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. The Spirit's telling them what's going to happen. It's not good. You go down to verse 10, chapter 21. After we had been there, this is Caesarea, now with Philip the evangelist and the believers there in Caesarea. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands with, and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, Paul, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. 
And then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. I think this one is a real good possibility. Lord, I'll die with you. I'll die for you. Any other great apostle ever made that commitment? Cephas, Peter. And when the Lord told him the truth, this very night you'll deny you even know me. Peter emphatically tried to correct the Lord. No, Lord, I will die with you. The good thing about a commitment is God is so gracious that if we fail, there's grace and mercy at the cross. Anybody ever failed? My hand is up. My hand is up. I'm not going to go into the story, but a couple of years ago when me and three other staff members were scuba diving and we all came up and the boat was gone, <laughs> I, my first thought, I'm the first one up. They're still down. My first thought was, I cannot believe this is the way I'm going to die. The story details another time, not today. But on swimming to that boat that I finally found that was a dot on the horizon, not thinking I'd ever make it. You know how many vows I made to the Lord? <laughs> I laid it all out, man. I kept some of them. You know you're going to die, but you get serious. I'll tell you another one. I think this is a possibility. He leaves Corinth, a sexually vile place. Sexual sin abounded. You know the book in the Bible Paul wrote? from Corinth, Romans. You read Romans chapter one and he describes the depravity of man and the sexual sin and all the other that goes along with it. And I think he could have had that fresh experience of seeing all the sexual immorality all around him and he, he was a single man. He was a single man. And I think he, it could have been he made a fresh vow to the Lord. Lord, I will remain pure for you. And I'll give you one more possibility. Paul the Apostle might have just not wanted to be an average Christian. Because Saul of Tarsus, before he came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Saul of Tarsus wasn't satisfied being just an average Jew. He tells us in Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism far beyond those of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my forefathers, religious tradition. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And you're going to tell me that Saul of Tarsus gave 110% as a Pharisee of Pharisees when he was blind to the truth, that now he comes to know the truth. You're going to tell me he's going to give any less to Jesus Christ? Uh-uh. He didn't want to be average. I don't want to be average. I hope you don't want to be average. Now let's switch gears. Those are some possible reasons for Paul's vow. Let's personalize the passage. Come on, be honest with me now. Anybody up to this point in your Christian life ever make a vow to the Lord and up to this point right now, you've kept it. You've kept it. You've kept it. My hand's up. I made a vow, a commitment, over 29 years ago. As I stood before witnesses in that wedding ceremony and before the Lord, and I committed to Wendy and holy matrimony until death do us part. And I pray the death is not by her hand. Vows made at a flower-lined altar are only as good as those made at the altars of everyday life. It's framed in my office near a picture of my beautiful bride. Vows made at a flower-lined altar are only as good as those made at the altars of everyday life. 
I told my wife yesterday, in light of this message, I said, if it's okay with you, I'm renewing my vow and I'm with you until death do us part. Thank God she wasn't disappointed in my vow. That's one I've kept and I pray and I intend to keep until I see Jesus. There's another one I've kept now for over 32 years. Ministry. And boy, there are times I wanted to quit. But I've told you that before. My pastor, Pastor Milton, went home to be with Jesus Saturday morning. I have the awesome privilege, God give me strength, to help officiate his funeral Tuesday morning in South Carolina at 11 a.m. He was married to his wife for 68 years. He pastored the same church for 36 years. I knew him from the time I was four years old and my grandmother would walk me to the Baptist church he pastored. From four years old to 90 years old Saturday morning, he had influence on my life. After I graduated from Liberty, I didn't know where God had me going and I was kind of in a, I just, I was, I was discouraged. And just by God's providence, I was catching a flight back to South Carolina, connection in Charlotte. I look over, and there's my pastor, Milton Frazier. He's catching a flight from another speaking engagement, and we're on the same plane. We sit side by side from Charlotte on a little puddle jumper to Florence, South Carolina. I said, Pastor Frazier, I just don't know where God's got me going. I'm just, I don't know. I said, do you have any counsel for me, any encouragement for me? I'll never forget what Milton Frazier said to me. He looked at me and said, Danny, what I would love to see is that you pray, and when God opens the door and leads you to where he has you to be, you go there and you stay there until God calls you away. And you stay there through thick and through thin, and you persevere. I'll never forget he was a great example for me. And I'm now 32 plus years, the same church. I want to share with you in the last few minutes, vows, commitments, dedication, consecration that I believe every Christian should make. Now, there's a lot of things I could talk about. I could talk about serving and fellowship and prayer and praise and worship and developing self-control and all those kind of things. But here, here's what I'll give you. These are top on my list, me personally, me personally. Vows that every Christian should make to the Lord. By the way, this is what Fraser could say and what I want to be able to say. I fought the good fight. That's Paul's words just before he went home to be with the Lord. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I want to say that. I want to be able to say that. Let me tell you the first one. Sexual purity. You know why this is really up in the top of my commitment to the Lord? Because it's such a great challenge. Let me tell you again, those of you that are regulars here, you've heard me say this before, I'm going to say it again. Marriage does not solve sexual temptation. A good marriage does not solve sexual temptation. I wish it did. I, then the day I married Wendy Robinson, you know, sexual temptation is gone. I got to tell you something, it doesn't do it. And I got a good marriage. And this is still today as a 58-year-old happily married pastor. This is still a daily battle. And thank God. I'm winning through Jesus. Thank God I never got involved in pornography. You're involved in pornography. Go to a Christian brother. Go to a Christian, because usually guys are involved in this. Ruining people. Ruining people. Thank God I never got involved with them. Don't intend to. Don't intend to. Paul wrote, treat younger women, or younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. He could have just said purity. He drove home the point. You set your standard high, Timothy. Absolute purity. And if you set it low, you're in for problems. Problems. 
He wrote in 1 Thessalonians, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. He wrote in Ephesians to the Ephesian church, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. We're so glad that you joined us for today's edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience as we study the book of Acts. If you'd like to hear today's message again or more from Pastor Danny, visit ccfstpete.church. You're also invited to join our Bible reading plan. Just look under the resources tab on our website for more information. As you make your way through the Bible, you might be surprised how something hits your heart exactly where you're at. God's Word has a way of doing that, and it's unmistakably God's way of speaking to you. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment and ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? You never know how someone might be impacted by hearing about God over the radio, even if they weren't intending to. Pray that listeners would be open to hearing the gospel message. Pray also that we would continue to seek God's will for this program in teaching the word and reaching the world. One additional thing that we'd ask you to pray about is if God would be leading you to support the living word financially. If so, you can find a way to do that through our website, ccfstpete.church. Just click on the Give tab. We're so grateful for your support. Thanks for praying, giving, and listening here on The Living Word.